Okay, we're back in First uh, Samuel, and uh, we're looking at chapter 27, 29, and 30 today. And we'll make it as uh, expedient as possible as we go through. First of all, going back, just to get us up to speed, going back to chapter 26. You remember the Ziphites? Ziphites who back in 23 ratted out David. Well, here they are back in 26. They rat out David again. And they tell Saul basically where uh, David is located. The problem is that the Ziphites being the intelligence for Saul, God was the intelligence for David. So David always was kept one step ahead of Saul. But it was becoming wearisome from chapter 16 where, where David is anointed as king up to the point that we are now. Chapter 29 was about 16 years approximately. That's a long time running. And David was definitely becoming very wearisome of the run. You remember that in chapter 26... David took Abishah, which was his nephew, probably the son of his eldest uh, sister, and they went in amongst the troops of Saul, which counted 3,000 of the best soldiers that Saul could conjure together. These weren't 3,000 troops like as was in David's situation where he had he had his 600 valiant men, but he also had his 600 valiant men's wives, children, cattle, and all that was needed to support such a clan. And so there were two types of, uh, of, of battle-ready individuals here. Saul's battle-ready individuals were 3,000 hand-picked soldiers. So you say, what? Oh, David doesn't have a chance. Well except for the fact that God was David's intelligence. They went in amongst the camp in chapter 26. They went in amongst the camp, and in a supernatural way, there was a great sleep that came upon these 3,000 soldiers of Saul, and including Saul. And you remember, David and Abishai went in and took his javelin and and later on, he taunted Abner from a high hill. He taunted Abner and told him, Oh, what a great bodyguard you are for Saul. Look at this. And he holds up the very spear that just many years before, Saul had tried to plant into the chest of David and pin him to the wall with. God was David's intelligence. And David always kept a step ahead of his enemy. You would not give David a chance. Under the circumstances in which he was held, you would not give him a chance. And look at the last verse of, of chapter 26. I want you to peg this because it's very important. Then Saul said to David, after he showed him the spear, and Saul knew that, that David could have taken that spear and pinned Saul to the ground with the very spear that he launched at him. And by all human standards, that's exactly what anyone would have done. 
Abishai said, listen, David, go stand over there. If your conscience is that great against taking the life of this man that in Abishai's mind had been delivered by God to David, you just stand over there. I'll do it myself. David said, no. No, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And then, after Saul realizes his life should have been taken, that David had spared his life once again, it is almost as though there are two personalities of this man, Saul. This is what he says. Then Saul said to David, this is verse 25 of chapter 26, a key verse. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David, Thou shalt both do great things and also shalt still prevail. In another instance, he says, you're going to be the king of Israel. Saul knew it. In his heart, he knew it. Because he saw the hand of God powerful upon David. Now, just to, I know that this is a little crazy, but I'm going to go back to chapter 16. Go back to chapter 16 real quickly, and you're going to see the, the switch, how this all pans out. Chapter 16, uh, just before 17, where uh, David shows uh, his strength against this great man, Goliath. It says this in verse 13 of chapter 16, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now look at verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And there was the change. And even though I don't believe that Saul ever really had a real handle on or a real relationship with the God of heaven, I believe he recognized full that God was blessing David and every step that David was taking. But here is the response. After David is, is told by Saul that, that God has blessed you and will bless you, he had been told earlier by Saul that God is going to make you king. It was almost like a dual personality. It was unbelievable. Schizophrenia, some weird kind of a psychological order that, that, that seemed to be taking over Saul at this point. This is what it says in verse number 1 of 27. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. <clears throat> now, David was depressed. David had upon him what would be considered godly sorrow. There's, there's depression that overtakes us at times. Some of it is self-inflicted wound. Now, if you, wouldn't, if you take off the last part of this verse, verse number one, that would be a godly sorrow that David was placed under. For 16 years, he's being hounded and hounded and hounded by this man Saul. Saul was relentless in wanting to take David's life. Anyone in this room, 
There isn't a person in this room that would not be depressed over that. Would not be experiencing godly sorrow over that, having been hounded that long. What was God doing? God was putting David through this process of taking him and placing him into a very, very, very hot fire. Unbelievably hot fire. And then taking him out of that hot fire, red hot, and placing him on an anvil. And then he takes this giant hammer and he begins to slug, pound, one blow after another, forming David into the man that would ultimately be the king of Israel. And from David's line, remember, would come the king of kings and lord of lords. And so it was a 16-year process. The same kind of process that Moses went through. The same kind of process that, 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 that Paul went through. All the great men of God are placed onto the holy anvil. And the holy hammer of God begins to strike that individual and pound him into the person that God wants him to be. If David would have just stopped without going in to wanting to join up with the Philistines, it was this close to being over. But David made a great mistake. Now, you would think that the Word of God would take a lot of these very negative things about this very godly man of whom the the, the Bible says, a man after God's own heart. Let's just not say it. Let's just not go there. Let's skip right over into the last chapter of of, of 1 Samuel and let's get rid of Saul and put David on the throne where he belongs and let's go from there. It doesn't do that, does it? The Word of God is so honest because there are such critical lessons that are going to be poured down through the ages to the people of God. And we shall all see this man, his reactions in, in, in human frailty as he goes and joins up with the Philistines in a place called Gath. Does that ring a bell? That's where Goliath is from. He goes back to Gath, where Goliath is from, and joins up with the king of the Philistines named Achish. You say, what a terrible thing. What an awful thing. Some of those psalms that he, that he wrote at this time. Go, go over to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm chapter 13. And you're going to see some of these psalms that he wrote. As he, as he dealt with this tremendous depression. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? Do you know that there's nobody that can do this? If I went to any human being and said, you forget me forever, can't do that, can they? Only God can forget forever. That's how bound up he was in depression. All the circumstances of life had just pounded on him and pounded on him and pounded on him. It was God's holy anvil and God's holy hammer shaping and forming David 
into the man that God wanted. How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemies be exalted over me? Chapter 10. Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? This is the same psalmist. Now, this is the same psalmist, you see. Go, go over to Psalm 18. This is the same one who wrote, I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. And my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. He wrote those words before he was found joining with the Philistines. Wow. Can we get discouraged? Well, David certainly did. He certainly experienced tremendous discouragement. Chapter 34 of of Psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. He also wrote that one before he traveled to Gath. Isn't that amazing? So in discouragement, in despondency, David is found in a place where he says these words, and David said in his Heart, mistake number one. You see, instead of going to the Lord, he allowed his emotions, his feelings, his own heart to drive him and and make conclusions for him. To establish his ways. I think it's best now. I am so tired of being hounded by Saul. I have had it with being hounded by Saul. If I go and escape into the land of the Philistines, Saul will not come and get me there. And that's exactly what took place. Depending on that old heart. It's deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't go there. You're going to find out something as we go through uh, chapter 27 that, 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 that David never refers or never goes back and prays to God anymore. He never inquires of God as to what was going on here. He escapes into the land of the Philistines. Verse number 7. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full 16 months. 
16 months he dwelt there. And while he was there, he was still dealing with the enemies of Israel. This is what it says, verse number 8. And David and his men went up and invaded the Geshurites, the Jezerites, the Amalekites, and those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. So he went that far to the east, and he continued to, to campaign against the enemies of Israel. And now, verse number 10. And Achish said, Where have you been today, David? Tell me, where have you been? And it says in verse number 11, And David... Uh, uh, and it says, and David, uh, verse number 10, and David said, again, the south of Judah, and against the south of the Jelamites, and against the south of the Kenites. And so what he does here, it cannot be veiled over. It, it, it cannot be excused. He absolutely lies, doesn't he? He lies to Achish. He said he was out after the enemies of the Philistines, when in, in fact he was out after the enemies of Israel. He lies. That is exactly what transpires in our own lives if we allow ourselves to walk out of the will of God. Once you walk out of the will of God, it is one thing step leading to another. And then in order to cover up that lie, he's got to lie again. In order to cover up that lie, he's got to lie again until he finally would come to himself. And Achish, verse number 12, and Achish believed David, saying, He hath made his people Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. Now, we're going to skip over the indoor, that is Saul. What I'm dealing with is David today. Somebody's going to deal with Saul next week. And so we're going to skip over that. But I do want to uh, make mention of verse number 2 of chapter number 28, which is really, that's an extension of chapter number 27. And here's what it says, uh, that, that Achish would make David his own bodyguard. He, be, he became so trusted David as far as David's actions concerned that I'll make you my bodyguard. And so that's, that's what David was actually made. Now skip over to chapter number 29. It says, Now the Philistines gathered together at their, at their armies at Apek, and the Israelites pitched by the fountain which is at Jezreel. And so here is his uh, 600 valiant men, and I am sure that his 600 valiant men, many of those men were really, really wondering, what are you doing, David? They were used to battling the enemies of Israel. And here they were encamped in the greatest enemy of Israel, the Philistines. And the lords of the Philistines, verse 2, And the lords of the Philistines passed by by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed by in the rearward of Achish. And now they were they were. Uh, they were presenting themselves, all the generals of, uh, uh, of the Philistines. Here's Achish who lines himself at the rear, which was customary at that time, being the king. And behind him was David and his 600 men. Boy, you've got yourself in a pickle now, David. Because now this troop 
was going to go after Saul. Now, there's different opinions as to, as to what was going through the mind of David at this particular time. I, I will give you my opinion on this, but there is some variation on this. Now, we go on and reread. Verse number 3. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews here. In other words, what are they doing here? What on earth do we have David at the rearward parts marching just behind our king? What are we thinking? Well, at least there was some common sense in with the Philistines. Because Achish had apparently lost all common sense. My opinion is that David, if he would have been pressed into... Of course, we know that God did not press him into that situation. So we, it's all... A moot point. So God did not press him, but if God would have pressed him, if it would have been a situation where he would have been in the rearward part, God had established him in the rear, I believe that Achish would have been driven through with a sword. You say, well, that would have been suicide. Well, it depends. Remember, David's the one who walked right into the, the 3,000 men, the, the 3,000 valiant men, right in as they were sleeping and snatched up Saul's sword and just kind of took his time and then strolled out. Why did he do that? Oh, because he's so cunning. That's not because he's so cunning. It was obvious that God was on David's side. And so God could have given that victory. But God was out to judge Saul and his sons at this particular time. And the princes, uh, verse number four, and the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him, and the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return. Get him out of here. We're, we're, we're not marching. We're not going forward until David is taken away. <clears throat> now I want you to notice this, verse number five. Remember the hit song that the women were singing? That... that Saul has killed his thousands and David is ten thousands. And, and it was a hit song. It was a song. It was, it was such a song like, uh, um, um, you remember uh, back uh, when we had that song, Who let the dogs out? Uh, ooh, ooh. You know? Right? Right. Why does everybody laugh? Because everybody heard it, right? It was one of those catch kind of songs that you don't forget. Who let the dog die? So that was the same thing here. I don't know how it was sung. I don't know what the tune was. But it was so catchy. You say it went all throughout Israel. Yeah, it went all throughout Israel. And it went all throughout the Philistines too. They knew the song. And th these generals got together and they said, Isn't this the guy, verse number 5, Is this not David of whom they say one to another in dances, saying Saul slew his thousands, David ten thousands? So here the Philistines know this song. You see, why were the Philistines emboldened to go against Saul at this time? I think there's one big factor. One big factor. Number Well, two. Let's take two big factors at least. Number one, though, Samuel was dead. That was the mouthpiece of God. They feared Samuel. They feared Samuel. The enemies of Israel feared Samuel because of his... His intimate connection with the God of heaven. And now David has aligned himself with the Philistines. Well, that had emboldened anyone. Now you've lost both connections to heaven. Let's go. It's time to go. And that's when Achish decided with his generals, we're going to be attacking Israel. And so this song comes out. 
And then David is told by Achish, I, I'm so sorry. I, I really apologize. You've been so loyal to me. You've been such a tremendous help to me, but they just won't move unless you're gone. And sent, so he was sent back to uh, uh, Ziglag. Verse number 8. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What hast thou found in thy servant so long as I have been with thee unto this day? Now, you've you got to remember something here. Now, I think this was Academy Award winning acting here. Now, there's different opinions on this. I'm not going to say there are not. But I believe that he was acting. He was an Academy Award acting. Was it his first act to Achish? No, because you remember before uh, that, that uh, in, in chapter 21, he, he feigned like he was insane. And he dribbled his, his slobber all down his beard. And Achish looked at him and said, huh, go home. We don't need another insane person here. We got enough of those. Get out of here. So he's an Academy Award winning actor. And his little act here when he says, but what have I done? What else could he say? Oh, good. Great. I'm going home. Hmm. Why are you saying that? He had to say this. I believe he was acting as well as he acted uh, way back in, in chapter 21. He, he had Achish wrapped. Okay? So, he ends up going back to Ziglag. In verse, uh, chapter number th uh, 30 now, it says, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites... Now, Saul was told to get rid of the Amalekites a long time ago, years and years and years ago. But you remember that he allowed certain ones to live. And here it crops up its ugly head again. And the Amalekites had invaded the south of Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burnt it with fire and had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not anyone. Now, this is interesting because... You remember what it said about David. When David went out after the, the enemies of Israel while encamped in Gath under the auspice of this king Achish, he actually went out against the enemies. And remember what it said? It said he wiped out everybody. Very uncharacteristic of David, by the way. Men, women, children, everything dies. Why? Because he didn't want word to get back that he was actually fighting the enemies of Israel rather than the enemies of the Philistines. So you see how once we get out of the will of God, things just collide downhill. We become liars. We become murderers. Everything just falls apart in our lives. But he was depressed, you see. We say, well, he was depressed. A lot of people will come to us and they'll say, I'm just so depressed. Some depression is given by God in order to hone us. Most depression is self-inflicted. Was David's? You bet it was. He shouldn't have ought to have been here. He shouldn't have ought to have been here. He was where he should not have been. Should have been. And so he was depressed. It's like if you take out a gun and you shoot yourself in the foot. You say, oh, my foot hurts. I'm depressed. Oh. 
Well, give me a break. You shot yourself in the foot. Most depression is that way. When we move away from the will of God and all of a sudden the circumstances of life become so heavy upon us that we become depressed, you got to go back, don't you? you got to backtrack. Go back. Go back. Go back. Where did you jump off the ship? Most depression is self... Not all. Not all. When the Lord Jesus Christ was in the garden, it says he was heavy in burden. Sweat as it were, great drops of blood coming down to the earth. He was under godly sorrow. Absolutely no question about that. Was he wrong? Was it self-inflicted? No, of course not. So there is some that is godly sorrow, but for the most part, depression is self-inflicted wound. That's what I've seen. Most of us brought on by our own wrong decisions, our own turns that go away from the will of God rather than towards the will of God. When we take this, this Word of God, this great guidebook for life, and we just simply we throw it aside and we say, well, look, I got a Bible. Look, I got a Bible. Never read it. Never refer to it. Never look for it for guidance. And all of a sudden, the old man just steps in and says, hey, I got free reign now. And the old man takes off with us. And he begins to move us in directions. And then all of a sudden, ah, the circumstances of life have depressed me. Most of it is self-inflicted wounds. So verse number 6. His men wanted to stone him. Now, I'll tell you what. I know that there were there were 600 valiant men. And I would say that a good 90% of that 600 valiant men were questioning as to why their leader was standing in the camp of the Philistines. So they were already pumped. They already said, this is ridiculous. What are we doing here? And now Achish has come to us and said, we're going to battle against Israel. Come with us. Let's go. And those 600 men must have said, you've got to be kidding. We ought not be here. So when they went back to the camp in Ziglag and they found that their wives were taken, not just David's, all 600 men, their children were taken, those little ones that they loved so dearly, oh man, they just wanted to kill David. That was it. They'd had it up to here. Talk about depression. Yeah, there was some depression there, right? And so it says in verse number 6 that they, they spake of stoning him. But the latter part of verse number 6 is the difference between David and Saul. Now watch. This is what the Word of God puts us in for. You say, well, why would he say such a negative thing? Why don't we just eliminate the negative things about David? Let's just revere him and show him what a man of God he is. No, the Bible put this in here so we can see this contrast. Watch this contrast now. It says this. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, where does Saul go? Just Where did Saul go? Just a chapter before? To a witch. You see the contrast that that God, the God of heaven, wants us to catch? One was encouraged in the Lord, and the other went to a witch. A familiar spirit. There's the contrast. You say, well, David, what an awful thing he did. 
What an awful thing he did with awful consequences, unbelievable consequences, not only on himself, but everybody that he led. That's not leadership. That's awful. That's terrible. But he went back to the Lord, didn't he? Verse number eight. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after the troops? Now, I want, I want you to notice something here. I want you to realize something going on here. You go back to your 600 men. The 600 valiant men have just lost their wives, their children, everything. And David is praying to God, do I go? He didn't pray before, do I go into the land of the Philistines to hide from Saul? He didn't inquire of God one bit. Now he's inquiring of what would be an obvious answer. Would this not be obvious? My wife's back there. My three-year-old son's back there. And you're praying whether we're going to go or not? David did not want to make a mistake twice. Even though it was an obvious answer. He still prayed. Sometimes we take the littlest things in life and we, we cast them, or we take the largest things, and we cast them off the side and we say, ah, I'll just, I'll just do this or I'll just do that, and never inquire of the Lord. David knew, I'm not going to make that mistake again. And so what was very obvious, he inquired of the Lord. God sends an Egyptian... The Egyptian, unbeknownst to him, not knowing who David is, not knowing who this group of troops are or anyone, he says this in verse 14. And we made an invasion. In other words, uh, the, the, um, the, the, uh, uh, the Amalekites, they made an invasion. He says, we, we invaded this place, this place, and we invaded Ziglag. We took everybody from Ziglag, too. Wow. David, you'd think he'd just taken a stone and killed the guy right there. It doesn't do that. He realizes that God had sent this, this man along. Verse number 23. Then said David, ye shall not do so. What is he talking about? Well, there were those who stayed by the stuff. There were 400 of his 600 men that had actually gone out against the Amalekites, against whoever the enemy was that, that destroyed Ziglag and took their families. 400 of them went out. 200 were so tired. They were so beaten down. They were so exhausted from, from crying themselves out over the circumstances that, that they stayed behind by the stuff. And so when the 400 came back with victory in hand, they said, well, now, uh, the, all that we gained in battle, well, it's for us. It's not for you. You didn't go in battle. You notice how, how David's spiritual mindset, his, his spiritual balance begins to come back again. That's his response. Then David said, you shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us. Now, it, it could have been very easy for David to say, oh boy, 400 guys, we went out there after uh, this enemy and we... Took him down, boy, he took him down. No, he didn't say that, did he? His spiritual balance was coming back. He recognized. It's not our stuff. It's God's stuff. We're not here to distribute that stuff. It's not our right to distribute that stuff. It's God's right to distribute that stuff. And everyone will get equal share. That's what he said. Saul went to a witch. David went to heaven. And there's power there. There's power there. There's the ability to influence your life and my life. 
if we but recognize that all the power we have. Now, David went to heaven. He has the Spirit dwelling on him. We have the Spirit dwelling in us. And the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling in us. We have the advantage. Oh, don't, don't, don't put off what, what God has blessed us with. Don't cast it aside like rubble and take on our own natural thinking and begin to, to, to think out things and logicize things on our own minds because we're just going to get lost. Just exactly like David did. Oh, the best thing I could do is just go join the Philistines. I'm so tired of running. He was within just months of seeing King Saul dealt with by the God of heaven, something that he could have done time and time again. He did not do because of command of heaven. He did not do. God was about to do within months, and all of this transpired due to his discouragement. Whenever you go to the Word of God, I want you to do this. You look at the Old Testament and you say, wow, that's Old Testament. Good history. Great history. Very accurate history. It gives us the history of mankind through the, through the eyes of the nation of Israel. Great stuff. I don't buy that. There's a reason why uh, chapter 27 and 29 and 30 are in the Word of God. It's, it's very obvious that God wanted to make a contrast between Saul, who, who went to a witch, and David, who went to the God of heaven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledging him, and he will direct your path. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do give you thanks for the word of God which instructs us. We give you thanks that you didn't hide things from us. You didn't take the the shadows of people's lives and and put them off to where they would not be recorded. Where all we could see is the sunshine and and then we'd feel so inadequate. Our Father, you included the shadows. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can learn by them. We realize, our Father, there may be some who who are under the anvil right now and being pounded on by the hammer whether it be a self-inflicted depression or godly sorrow. We don't know. Father, we just pray that we would respond accurately. If it requires us to return to the God that we love, then return. Repent. Repent and return. If it's godly sorrow, our Father, just that we'd bear up under it and realize that God is doing a magnificent work in our life. We give you thanks now in the name of thy blessed Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.